Hi, I'm Tom Coffin, CEO and President and Co-Founder of Simply Reliable Incorporated. Welcome to the Smartpreneur Podcast. What's a smartpreneur, you might ask? Well, a smartpreneur, in our opinion, is someone that focuses on working on their business, not just in their business. And our Smartpreneur Podcasts are designed to bring you some relevant information each week about your business and different parts of that business. It could be marketing, it could be workflow, it could be labor, uh, it could be business operations, many things that we'll talk about each week on the podcast. You can also check out our Smartpreneur blog at simplyreliable.com. And of course, our Smartpreneur podcast is brought to you by Simply Reliable, makers of Smart Office and Design Machine, the complete end-to-end -end solution for business process for systems integrators. So thanks for joining us today, and I hope you enjoy the show. This week on the Smartpreneur Podcast, our guest is Chris Smith. Chris is the co-founder and CEO of The Co-Team. Please welcome Chris Smith. Well, hi, Chris. Thanks for joining me again. Well, Smartpreneurs, we're, uh, we're blessed to have Chris Smith with, with us again this week. And uh, Chris has a, a new blog out on the Smartpreneur hey, Thanks for having me. blog. And it's all about service preauthorization. So we thought we'd dig a little bit deeper with, with uh, Chris and, uh, and talk a lot more about, uh, about this, this form of getting uh, pre-approved for things. Chris, when did uh, when did you realize that this might be a problem? We've been hearing about integrators losing money on service for yeah. years, and we don't even have to talk about, talk about service plans at this point as to how to make more money on it. We just have to figure out how to stop bleeding cash from service. So if we're lucky enough to be making it up on the project side as it is, let's just make sure that we're not losing out on the backside of the service. And as, as I went through this, I started thinking about our own business. And uh, back when I was running an integration firm, we need some electrical work done. And so I called up my buddy who ran a very large electrical contracting firm. And he put me in touch with the person who runs the service side of his business. Um, and she sent me out this form and it was amazing in its simplicity. It basically said what we were agreeing to and how much it would cost. It gave us a method to record our payment version and told us that we would be billed at the end of our of our service visit. And I went, every business should have this. I don't care what they do, it's so simple. Um, and then it dawned on me how few businesses had anything like it. And then I started to think about all of the ways in which integrators complain about the problems of their service organization. So clients would get a bill and then complain mm -hmm. about not knowing how much it was gonna cost. Clients would get a bill and it would include portions and pieces of things that made logical sense to include, but that the client didn't feel prepared to understand. Um, and then the other side was, even if the client was in agreement about the dollars and cents of the bill, people are spending so much time as integrators chasing their clients for these very small dollar amounts and the collections involved 
Makes the sense. volume Makes of sense. the transactions we're talking Chris, about. Chris, talk to me was about insanity uh, to me. I, I know you're and so you're it just seemed in the like article the electrical bit. contracting firm had uh, solved all of those things. It that, seems like there's a, a question about how much you should really be charging for service calls versus what you charge for, you know, trimming out an audio system or, you know, delivering a TV, those, those type of things. How do you how do you decide what that difference should be, and why should there be a difference? So the very first part of this discussion is you have to agree that when you do project work, you have both labor and hardware, and you have a significant amount of hardware. So for every hour of labor that you're spending on a project, you're making the gross margin of your labor and you're making gross margin of hardware. Sure. If I then take that technician and I put them on a service call, I could make the exact same amount of gross margin dollars. I just don't usually have as much hardware on the transaction. So what that tells us is that the labor rate for service should be significantly higher. So number one, you should not be discounting your labor ever. <laughs> number two, you should specifically not be discounting your service labor. If you're gonna sell labor for service at or less than the price of your project work, you should shut down your service department. It would be better business for you. So if you're gonna provide service, you have to charge enough for it. The rough number is probably about 1.5X, but in reality, there's actually a mathematical formula for it. And I have a small spreadsheet that I work through with my clients where we enter in their labor rate, labor gross margins, labor as a percentage of hardware, hardware gross margins, and then we understand if we pull out those hardware gross margins, we add that on top of the labor. But a rough idea is about 1.5. Yeah, that makes, that makes now, a lot of sense. I think where this gets dangerous is, um, I don't know that you're charging enough for your current project. When you're setting up uh, so before we get too far ahead of ourselves, we have to make sure that that's calibrated. Are they, are they generally, set our service I guess it's, it's probably a two-part question. One is what should they be doing? And the other part is when you're talking to, to uh to integrators and business owners out there, what are they doing? Um, what things are they charging for? Are they just charging for the time that they're at the house? Are they charging for drive time, prep time, you know, any of that type of stuff? How's that typically break out? I think it's just like project work. I think people aren't charging for their time. And I think that's true on service work as well. So when thinking about your billable rate, there is what gotcha. you charge for an hour. And the question then is, when does the clock start? And the clock starts from the moment the technician leaves your office or their last visit. So we always bill travel time one way. So the client who you are going to inherits the travel time to them. And when you leave that client's house, the next client is inheriting the next piece of travel time. So effectively at the end of the day, the only piece of travel time that isn't billed for is the very last trip of the day from the last client's house back to the office or to the technician's home. Um, otherwise that travel time is billable. And the easy way to think about it from the client's perspective is, would you like the work done or not? 
Because if you'd like the work done, I have to get to you. Unless you plan on bringing all that stuff to my office, in which case I'm happy to only bill you for the time at the office. Other things that would make sense to bill for would be the time that you have in the office working for that client. Now, this will vary, I think, instance by instance. It's easy when you think project work, like building a rack. But there might be other work that's done in an office in preparation for service work. You might be prepping equipment. You might be downloading new firmware to something. You might be dealing with an RMA. All of that time is billable. Um, you could choose not to bill for it, in which case you're just making rich people rich. Perfect. Which seems awfully silly. Well, but smartpreneurs, you'd probably maybe like to get an idea what this form might look like. It makes good sense. So that technician, uh, Chris has sent over the your form and also a workflow sitting in a uh, that he developed with so why another one of our smartpreneur uh, faculty, uh, guest faculty members, uh, Jason Sayan. And so I'm going to uh, shut our cameras off for a, a few seconds here and we'll bring up this uh, document and give you guys a, a good look at it. This was created as a template to build off from your particular set of requirements. But I think all of the basics are here for most businesses. And this will cover 95% of the questions that somebody might ask. Um, the very first part is that we're establishing that the client has asked for something and we're giving them the opportunity to opt into our method. In other words, by signing this, you're agreeing to our terms of service. That's pretty smart. So what's included in our terms of service? The initial drive time from us to you which could also be from my previous client to you, the next client, all the time from a technician on site. And we put technician parentheses S as in, it might take two technicians, in which case you're being billed for each person for each hour. Um, any material or hardware that's needed. So this makes good sense. I might need a bailing kit or cables or something like that that's required. It could also be something quite large, like a receiver or something else that I need to solve the problem. And then all client requested updates and modifications. So in other words, there's often a case where we come out to work on symptom A because that's what the client requested. But while they're working on symptom A, the client has now requested symptoms B and C be looked at or new work be done that wasn't originally discussed. And so now what we're saying is, well, what's the rate for that? And below that, we identify what that rate is. Um, be very, very careful here because if the rate is too low, Again, you shouldn't be doing service at all. You should just tell clients you don't do service. If the rate is high enough, usually about 1.5x, whatever your project rate is, then we're probably in pretty good shape here. Next, we're gonna take down all the basic contact info. Um, I think this makes sense. It's the client saying, yes, this is the service address and here's who I am and here's the payment method. This particular form shows it just as a credit card number, but you could also take ACH as an example I think it's really a question of what you're comfortable doing and how your software systems are set up to take payment. And then what the client says is we're agreeing to a number. Below this number, you'll just bill me whatever that is. Above this number, we stop work immediately and we write a proposal that is then approved by the client before any work is done beyond that number. So how do we set this number? Should it be $500, $1,000, $1,500? Yep. Pick a number that covers 80 to 90% of your transactions. The more, the better. Whatever that high watermark is, just set it. Now, if a client looks at this and says, I don't want to sign this, you immediately say, not the client for me. We dodged a bullet. Now, the client signs this, at least you have some Everybody version of have recourse one. so that there's not a question about now, them calling yeah. back credit card charges or what have you. 
And this entirely removes all of the collections problems that you're likely to encounter. Um, but I love the first part of it, which is that we avoid dealing with bad clients that we shouldn't deal with to begin with. Uh, Chris, you want to you want to talk through the uh, the diagram that you and Jason created? So one of the questions that perpetually comes up is how should service function or flow through our business? And this question came up so often that I wanted to create kind of an archetype that would answer most people's businesses. This needs to be tweaked and tuned based on the particulars of your business. You may just choose to use a pre-authorization and not have service plans. You may choose to use both. This idea is kind of assuming the belt and suspenders approach of doing both pre-authorization and service plans. Um, we wanted to create a way where when a service inquiry came in, you had a way to track it through the business. Um, and then from there, you could ask very simple questions that understand when you should trigger which portion of it. But effectively, if the client doesn't already have a, a pre-authorization form on hand, that is one of the options or they might be a service client, in which case they're effectively already paying you. Um, so if we gather the pre-authorization form, service can flow from there. And if we send it to them and they don't sign, we send it to them again after say a day or two. Um, and then from there, if they don't sign it at that point, we close the ticket out and we don't service the client. Um, we should never sit down and service a client that hasn't agreed to our terms Very of cool. service or provided a method of payment. From there, it just goes to well, show Chris, the that was fantastic. and based on the uh, idea I learned of a lot. the watermark of the dollar. Our entrepreneurs out there learn a lot as you well. Know, should we be stopping uh, work and writing a quote or proposal? I suspect that, that, the uh, watermark that we've chosen, some of our smartpreneurs might want to get in touch with you and, and maybe delve in this a little bit more, maybe maybe ask you to work with them on uh, on creating some of these documentation uh, ideas and, uh, and processes in their business. What's the best way for them to get a hold of Chris Smith at the co-company, at the co-team? Sorry. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Well, thank you, Chris. Uh, Smartpreneurs, thanks for joining us this week. Uh, tune in again next week where Absolutely. we'll have another great podcast for you. So and you can find then, us at Chris. Uh, keep at selling, the and we'll see you soon. Thanks, Chris. Com. And if you take a look just at the bottom of my picture here on this video, you'll see the co-team written right there. So chris at the co-team.com.